0: Let's Keep It Going, the podcast of Emmaus Church, where we sit down with Pastor Nick to have extended discussion over last week's message, in the hope that it inspires ideas in and around the Emmaus Church community. If you missed last week's message, have a question, or just want to know more about Emmaus Church, you can visit us at www.emmauschurchsc.com. Now, let's keep it going. Hey, Nick. Hey. Hey, Thomas. Hey.
1: How are we? We're good. I missed you guys this weekend. You gave us all these snacks. I They're- did. I set out snacks. We're prepared. Hostess so- with the mostest. A lot of protein involved. Mm-hmm. Peanut
2: butter pretzels and what are these, one protein bars? Mm-hmm. Were you suggesting that our our muscles are looking a little less
1: muscly? comes to my house, he asks for a protein bar. Hmm.
2: i got to keep my macros up. Mm-hmm macros how was
1: your weekend Just you
2: fantastic. up i did i did i missed you know we were we were out we were in edisto i love edisto we were there for the weekend which is nice it was really nice but we've been gone a lot this summer as a family and i'm kind of over it i'm like i'm tired of fun we've sense. missed you nick well i'm here right now
1: i would think you'd have a deeper tan you know what i'm
2: covering up now mm-hmm. 40 years old i got some spots that i'm a little you know curious about. So I'm like, I wear the big I wear the big uh the big hat, the big straw hat. That's me. I'm that guy on the beach now. Mm-hmm. Big straw hat and sun shirts.
0: So melanoma sounds like a a name of like a Polish great grandma. This is my great grandma melanoma.
2: I did not think I didn't I didn't think you were gonna go there. That's a babushka. I, so when you said babushka, this is my melanoma. When you said Polish, I was thinking like, oh, like a sausage. Melanoma. But you said A Polish grandmother.
1: Anyways.
0: Yeah, I feel like Polish. You can't offend Poles. The Poles are.
1: Guess what we learned about Thomas today? Guess what we learned earlier (laughs) about Thomas? He's a dancing maniac at weddings, evidently. Yeah, I went to a wedding. Never would have guessed.
0: This last weekend, I got turned up to eleven, and I'm never doing that again. Yeah. But yeah, but you always want to be like the cool husband that dances. All the all the other husbands be. I ain't dancing. Like, footloose. Like you want to be Kevin Bacon. You always want to be Kevin I'm
2: streaky. I'm, I'm like, it depends on how comfortable I am with the people there. I, do, I go to a lot of weddings. I'm a pastor, you know? So, I'm not I'm not dancing at everybody's wedding. Mm-hmm. If I dance at your wedding, it's because we're, like, people. Mm-hmm. We're tight. Do you wear a robe when you officiate a wedding? No. Uh, I've never. I, that was a dumb question. Do you I own officiate a my wedding? I don't own a robe anymore. I used to, but I don't anymore. You should bust that out. I liked wearing a robe when I wore one. You don't have to worry about your zipper being down. You don't have to worry about sucking it in too much. It's like the robe is very forgiving. It's flowing. Is that
0: contingent on a specific denomination for you to have to have a robe or uh, like
2: anybody wear a robe? Yeah. A lot of denominations wear robe. I think it's more of a traditional contemporary thing. Okay. You know, if you're contemporary, no robes, traditional robes, yeah. but Yeah.
1: Well, before we get into our sermon recap, um, Fran spoke this weekend um, and his message basically was, you know, about teamwork and things like that. So it got me thinking, what was, what is or has been the best team you've ever been on? And you can't say this one, our, our church staff team excluded.
2: Man, that's good. Best team I've ever been on. Mine's going to be really nerdy.
1: Let's go.
0: So I used to play World World of Warcraft. I can't even say it. World of Warcraft.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This is very nerdy.
0: And uh, I was a part of a group that, so in that game, you go and you're in the game. It's super hard to explain, but you go and with your character in the game, you group up with a bunch of other people and you take down like a dragon in a cave you know that's the easiest explanation and then they're really difficult Mm -hmm. so there's like and i think so i joined it i never did it before and you like so people always look for new players to hey we're going to start this raid group where we're going to go take down this dragon in the game Mm -hmm. and i got to know these people very closely and like <laughs> knew them by their real name and we were encouraging to one another. And it was like, great job we became friends on Facebook. Wow. What was
1: the I, age range?
0: It was like 18 to like 42. Okay.
2: Did this team have a name?
0: Uh, I can't remember the name. Okay.
2: Have any of you ever found, uh, ended up at the same wedding together? No. Okay. No, I've cool. never
0: met these people in real life, nor do I want to, um, <laughs> but it was just really cool. Cause like, It's so nerdy, but it's like a really like in in the realm of people who know what I'm talking about. They're like, oh, wow, cool. Like,
2: Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And so that not us. It's not us. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how many people are mashing that 15 second forward button. Yeah. Right now. (laughs) It is weird. Or just unsubscribing. (laughs) Lindsay, what about you? So middle serious athlete.
1: Middle school and high school, I played volleyball and softball with the same group of I don't know. It was like six to seven girls. Um, but I was the only one a grade year younger. And I mean, we, we played together for years and I distinctly remember, uh, like senior senior night for their last volleyball game. All of them got like brought out on the court and I was like the lone kid sitting on the sideline, just bawling, just like absolutely bawling because I knew the next year I'd be all alone. alone. I don't know. uh, Um, but yeah, that was a great team,
2: man. I've had a lot of them. I would say this team, but you told me I couldn't because this is the most fun I've ever had in ministry. But I, your last story made me think of I don't know why my sixth grade, first year playing football, sixth grade, it was like a, we called them, I guess it would be a rec league mm-hmm. because you're not old enough to play for the middle school yet. But we were an expansion team, the Steelers. We were the Pittsburgh Steelers and we were a bunch of newbies, never played football before. And we ended up like, we've got a hot streak at the end of the year and we beat the team that hadn't lost in like three years, Mm -hmm. the Raiders. We beat them. And that was amazing. I remember how fun, much fun. That team was like a real life Sandlot. Like had all the weird characters, you know, that were like not good at, they're only good at like one thing, you know, like one guy was super fast, but he couldn't catch. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a real life Sandlot thing. It was pretty fun.
1: So Fran cover James yep. 4, 1 through 12.
2: Yeah, he wrapped up the series, kind of getting into one of James' big, big points you find all throughout the letter, but it's calling the church, the community to stay a good team, even in the midst of all the hard things that are happening for them at the time. So what, what from the message are you still kind of hanging out with, thinking about?
1: I mean, I like that he took the route and, and applying it to Emmaus being, you know, young and early church. And, you know, here's some, some pointers to how to, to grow a healthy church. I think, um, I mean, there's plenty of examples of unhealthy churches out there in the world. Um, and I don't, I mean, none of them expected to get to that point. Mm -hmm. So I think it's nice to have some guardrails and some, some mindful things to think about. Um, I was thinking about that, um, what was that podcast we listened to? Mars Hill, mm-hmm. Rise and Fall, right? Um, and I was, just, I was thinking about the the four speaking yeah. points that Fran talked about. I'm like, they missed the, the mark on a lot of those.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I love that piece on just the importance of humility. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, um, you know, what makes a community a community is that people are there for a bigger reason than just themselves. You know, like that's the glue that holds it together. It isn't just about, you know, you and your own preferences, but we're all here because we think collectively we're capable of doing more than, you know, on our own. And so that that need uh to sort of hold on to that, you know, that that sense of like this isn't just about me getting my fix, you know, getting what I need, but it's about us all building something. And that the truth of that I think transcends You know, any type of community, whether that's a church, of course, but even like in our families, you know, that that need to constantly, you know, hold out a bigger purpose uh, for our families other than just, you know, our own particular roles and needs, you know, within within the home. Like a good team the part where it's like
0: uh, bad teams have people that are just super into themselves Mm -hmm. and there's a difference between like being humble and then also being too modest Mm. and like a good team is able to step into the role of the the one that's in focus at that any given time and then the other people are are uh, are able to step into the role of the assist you know Mm -hmm. and and you're able to if we're talking about basketball you're able to be the guy that dunks but then you're also looking to be the you can be the guy that rebounds and then like, it turns into the guy that gets the triple double, like, you know, Mm -hmm. like, that's something that is recognized, not just for how good you are shooting, but you're good at getting rebounds, you're good at making assists. Mm -hmm. Like, And so like a good team is flexible in that, like, you're not being so humble that you're never able to step into the role of, of somebody that takes the lead. But then you're not being like, like, ego is completely out of the picture. Like, like mm-hmm. there is no, like this, this ego you're in, you're stepping to the role of leader
2: because like, not because you have a big ego. It's, you, like, does hmm. it make sense? Like, yeah. Cause I think, man, it gets into kind of what we talked a little bit about. I think it was last week is that you don't want to be a part of a community that totally squishes or squashes or snuffs out people's individuals. Mm-hmm. Like individuals matter. They're just not the, It's not the focus, like, cause the team needs Mm -hmm. your weight. Mm -hmm. The team needs your gifts. The team needs your input that we don't, we don't need you to just sit, you know, on the bench and act like you don't have anything to offer. No, you do have something to offer. You know, you matter, Mm -hmm. but you matter in terms of being a part of, Right. The whole, you know what I mean? Like, like, teams
0: aren't shying away from celebrating an individual accolade. Like, mm-hmm. that's a part of teamwork is to encourage your teammate, be like, You did really good, and the whole team celebrates you for the play you made. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, like, it's not always about you. Yeah. um Like, that's a good balance between, like, team. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: You ready for a tangent question? You
2: got a tangent?
1: I kind of do. Okay. And I want to acknowledge that I, com- I complete, cause this, <laughs> as Thomas is our content editor, he's, he's going to get a little uncomfortable here, I think, but I completely understand where Fran was going with his example. You know, he said, uh, the importance of not caring about someone else's political beliefs, like careful with your allegiances, uh, you know, Emmaus needs to be a welcoming place for everyone. I get that I wholeheartedly, but it it got me thinking about something I've been wanting to maybe talk to you about or ask, um, don't you think there is a place that the church could speak into how your Christianity should, should shape your politics? And if, I mean, especially in James, uh, you know, there's the the concept of the great reversal where God just turns everything upside down and, you know, you, you care about the poor, the widow, the orphan. And if that were the things that were really shaping our politics, Why don't we align more closely politically?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, But you're right. It's like politics, political. It's like a dirty word Mm -hmm. within the church. You know, you hear people, church shouldn't be political, you know, Um, which I don't think is a very, it really, you're not really thinking about what you're saying there. Um, You know, politics is the word we use to talk about how we organize resources and shape the world. Like that's, that's what we mean. Like politics take resources and organize them in a way that benefits people who live there. You know, I think our faith should have something to say about that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Like what's sad, I think for for a lot of folks in, in America in particular is that their faith has become about afterlife. You know, it's just about happens to you after you die. So it has nothing to say about, this life, and it's just we've talked about that so many, times, so much. You know, Mace, that's not true. Like Jesus was political. Like, you know, he he. Whenever we talked about the gospel, he talked about it in terms of the kingdom of God. That is that is political language. You know, there were all sorts of different kingdoms around. You know, in Jesus's day, if he didn't want to be political, he could have said the family of God or whatever. But he talked. He said the kingdom of God. That there's a there's a way to organize things uh, here on earth that look more and more like the priorities of heaven. I mean, we hear that in the Lord's Prayer. So we have to get that, like thinking out of our heads, is that our faith isn't, yes, it is. Our faith should influence our politics. The problem is when it gets hijacked by partisan you know, where this one group is the only one who has, you know, has it figured out, right? This one group is the good guy. This group is the bad guy, you know? That's where the church gets into trouble, is when we think, I mean, I mean for a long time, in my experience, in a lot of places, to, and I I grew up, I believed this. Like to be a Christian meant meant you had to be a conservative evangelical Republican. Like th- if you weren't, then you weren't a Christian, and that's just not true. You know, there are, I think, faithful followers followers of Jesus who identify as all sorts of different you know political ideologies they they kind of align with. Um, I I've found. Like, you're the last, the last part of that question. Like, why don't we align more? Is that how you yeah. asked it? Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that's been happening even more recently is we are, there's just language is charged, ramping up about how this particular group, we are the good guys. Like, we are. You know, we, we don't just disagree with these people about political issues. Like they're trying to ruin everything yeah. and we're the ones that have to save them. Like you get that kind of language coming from both, both, both sides. And in my experience, this is talking to Christians that was in the church, right? People who are committed to following Jesus. I have found we both will agree on the big thing. Like, let's take the issue of of racism, you know? Talking to my friends who lean more left or more right and are are committed followers of Jesus, I have found they both will acknowledge it's still real. It's a problem. It's awful. And we got to do something about it. Right. There's a there's a lot of agreement there where you might find some disagreement on is how do we fix it? What is the best way to move us forward? You find some disagreements there, you know, so, I would actually argue, I think if we stop listening to extremes, the extremes, I think we actually find we are much more aligned than we think we are if we listen to each other, sure and not and not the extreme voices pulling us apart. And if we can try to have these conversations couched in our commonalities and our similarities, we start there. You know what I mean? like I'm talking to a friend and we're not on the same page politically about let's just keep keep going with this uh, illustration of like race i'm gonna start with the assumption that you believe this is a problem racism is a problem and we need to address it you know what i mean i'm gonna start with that assumption and then have the conversation from there But i think some of these like you said these extreme sides are trying to get us to believe they don't think it's a problem they don't care about like like we do or whatever um take any issue you know
1: they're also the loudest i mean that's what's coming through on in media and news stations
2: i remember listening to a catholic priest Um, did a lot of work in Chicago, just real involved in his community. I loved how he talked about this one time, you know, he said, my, left-leaning friends, my liberal friends, progressive friends, man, I admire so much their compassion for people who don't, you know, you know, who are under-resourced, who are in the margins. And he's like, I even admire the recognition that there are systems and things in place that are keeping them there. Like he loves that. You know, like, I appreciate that. I learned from that. And he said, I'll be, I also love my conservative right-leaning, you know, uh, friends who recognize that they as an indiv- individual are more than just the systems that they are a part of, that there is dignity to who they are as an as a individual and a human and that they are capable of a lot. You know, he's like, I love both of those. I'm like, man, that's beautiful. That's well said. Like, if we're going to get anywhere you know, dealing with a lot of the political issues, the arrangement of our resources, right? So to speak, if we're going to get anywhere with that, we have to recognize there are good things from both sides. I'm not just saying that it's some weird attempt you know, to like try to make everybody like us. I think it's the honest to goodness truth. Like there is no, like things that we need to hold on and put in the practice from both sides of the table. You know, I think we're just living more and more in an age where the narrative is we don't just disagree. They are an enemy who's trying to undermine everything that's important to us. Man, has ramped up a lot. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Over the last, sure. you know, five, 10 years or so. Yeah. Oh I love I love verse 7 in chapter 4 this whole passage you know he's uh he's airing some grievances here but he kind of starts to get turns the corner I think in verse 7 and starts to get a little, more instructions right but submit yourselves then to God is like the first real kind of instruction here and I man I find that to be so important it's like as a human being made in the image of God who's a follower of Jesus that is the bedrock of my identity and my allegiance mm-hmm. my My first allegiance is not, you know, to the United States. You know, I don't like saying the Pledge of Allegiance, not because I'm, you know, not uh, grateful for America, but because my allegiance has already been pledged. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like I pledge my allegiance and it might sound corny, but I found it to be super helpful for informing how I engage with you know, uh, the politics in the area where I live, because I don't over identify with any one group. I've already, you know, pledged my allegiance to Jesus and the kingdom of God. I may, I will then participate, you know, in the politics of my country and my area, but as kind of an outsider, Mm -hmm. you know, like my allegiance is not rooted in one side or the other. So I'm then free, you know, to critique and, you know, Uh, embrace Mm -hmm. the best from both sides. I think, man, so many people are over identifying, you know, with particular, smaller ideologies. And what we need is to remember our bigger allegiance. Sure. Because then it frees us up to be able to to, like critique the particular ideology that we might lean more towards um, when it comes to politics. And that's something else you're not really hearing much of anymore, right? With partisan politics is people are not able to critique their party, their group, um, cause they're holding it too close, mm-hmm. too tight. You know what I'm saying? That's
1: good. Oh, he had his thinking face on for a second. I thought something good was coming. <laughs> I
2: thought, well, I mean, I'll say this, like, I think it's something that the church has to recognize as an opportunity and a time to remind people of why the Jesus movement matters so much, you know, and why the church matters so much, you know, is because I think we're, we're meant to get even the Paul's letters. One of the, the fundamental roles of the church is meant to be this new humanity. You know, we're meant to, to offer a different and a better picture of what it looks like for people to actually be people, to be humans, you know? And I think one of the most profound ways that we can model this is being able to talk, Mm -hmm. like to be able to really talk about this stuff, to model what that looks like. Because the thing is, conversations actually change us. You know, this isn't just about like, you know, finding fun things to talk about the past of time. I I believe that conversations are actually how we change things. Uh, I think about my own life and how I've grown and changed over the years the thing that probably sparked some of that change was probably a conversation with somebody, you know, where they introduced me to a new way of thinking about something or they told me something I needed to hear. Like, uh, And I think about some of the great movements that have happened throughout history, everything from democracy, right? to like the invention of toll paper, right? How do you think that started? People kicking around some ideas, right. people talking and sharing ideas. And we have lost the ability to do that in any sort of meaningful way. And so, I mean, if the church really wants to remind people you know, of how relevant we can be and why this matters. I think we shouldn't ignore conversations around the big stuff. I just think we should do it different, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's like a, a good spiritual practice, you know, for de-othering the other. Mm. Uh, yeah. And that goes back into open-handed conviction yeah. too.
2: Yeah. That's, you know, big part of who we are is we're to be people who have convictions, but hold them open-handedly. You know, we're open to changing our mind. We're open to learning new things. We're open to admitting we're wrong, you know. And I think the the way you practice this is for us at least what we call groups. You know, groups on the one hand, I think you as an individual need those kind of relationships, you know, people who care for you, show up for you, are the presence of God in your life in some ways for you. But I also think it's it's so missional, like you know, it's it's about also what this can do in the world outside the walls of the church and to create communities where people come together around their biggest allegiances and then have uh, peaceful conversations around all of their smaller disagreements. Sure. God, I think the fruit of that can be pretty pretty incredible, and we we see it in some of our groups. Mm-hmm. You know, we have uh, our largest group is made up of some very diverse people when it comes to like who they vote for. You know, um, but man, some really cool things I think come out of those those kind of relationships.
0: Yeah, I feel like some of the part of the the stuff like he's talking about being humble and knowing your role. Like I think those are essential things. Like to be on a team, to be a church like to to fulfill your role correctly, like you need, you need awareness and clarity as to what you're supposed to do. And you're supposed to be humble doing it. And a part of that is receiving feedback. Part of it is allowing people into your life to give you feedback. And if that's like an essential thing to have a part, like, but then the, I feel like the only way that you can do it correctly is to allow people in that you trust. And that you're able, because I don't think, like, I think we've talked about this before, like, like, I don't think any, any person who calls himself a Christian is allowed to speak into another Christian's life, just completely without any sort of relational connection with that person. Mm-hmm. So if it truly is important to know your role in a church, know your role in the kingdom, to be humble, to receive feedback, to accept grace, like the only way you're going to be able to do that fully is to be in a group to be in relationships that are deep that are deep enough to where you invite these people in and they know you well enough to speak into your life without offending you without ruining the relationship altogether
2: like so groups are and like mm-hmm. absolutely essential. Yeah. I'm even going back to how you started this about You know, this need for our commitment to Jesus to actually shape our politic. Mm -hmm. I don't want to I don't want to jump over that too quick okay? Uh, because I I think that is that is very important. Like, who are we taking our cues from when it comes to, you know, what we believe about how things should be arranged politically? Um, You know, James calls it the royal law. Right. We talked about this the last week. Yeah. The royal law. This is the thing to love your neighbor as yourself. Right which means that if it's not good for my neighbor it's not good enough you know if if the if the current arrangement of things is somehow making it hard if it's working for me but it's making it harder for them then that should inform how i you know like my how i engage in politics it should change that right I, but i also want to push on that where the problem is the assumptions are made that only one group then mm-hmm. only one group actually knows how to arrange things right the best way for your neighbor. Like I want to start, I want to start from the assumption if you are a, you know, a fellow follower of Jesus that you are trying to create a world that is good for you and your neighbor. Help me understand, you know, these good questions. Help me understand how you think this strategy, this political strategy of arranging our resources will accomplish that. How do you, how do you, how do you, get in
0: a fair dialogue with somebody who, like, it's hard for me to get around this idea of, like, if you're a Christian, your heart should break for poor people. And if that's true, then you should lean politically to a specific side Mm -hmm. because your heart should break for poor people and there's only one side that breaks for, that their heart breaks for poor people. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think that's true at all. But how do you, how do you stay in dialogue and stay in relationship with somebody who who is who is partisan and i think i think society these days like it's easy to be it's easy to be partisan like i i lean politically to a certain side you know like and like i think that's i think that's normal but then like y- you get in relationship with people who who are a little bit more zealous about it mm-hmm. and are a little bit more like, "How, how what's the best way to, mm-hmm. to, to stay in dialogue with with people who, yeah. who do that? I, I don't really know how. That's to. a great question.
2: How do you coexist, be in community with people who don't agree with you on what feels like the biggest and most important conversations in our world right now? Is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah,
0: but I'm kind of like, I'm like kind of like, don't talk about it until you like Mm. really love that person, you know? (laughs) Like
1: (laughs) Like how do you choose who you actually engage with?
0: Mm.
2: Yeah. I don't think you have to have that conversation with everybody.
1: No, you shouldn't either. (laughs) But I
2: will say this is where I do like, I like having the practice of groups in a church because it's not meant to be just your friend group. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at who we tend to be friends with tend to be friends with people based on things like convenience, history, preference. Right if you think about most of your friends you form that's has something to do with that history we go way back right yeah convenience i work with them they're my neighbor of preference we enjoy the same kind of hobbies right we've met what's nice about being a part of a group within a church is you are put into a group of people based on some you know some things some life stages or whatever that we feel like would work really well but other than that you may not know who they vote for, right? Or, or, you know, what and I think that is it can be so good for us. Yeah. Um, because the first thing you got to start with is like so we call open-hand conviction. Like, I'm probably wrong about some things. I need to learn some stuff, you know? And so when somebody challenges you, kind of kind of back to what you were talking about earlier, if, if you feel yourself challenged by somebody, um, you feel some conflict there, I don't think the first reaction should be. They're wrong, or there's something bad about them. Right. They're not. Maybe our first reaction is to go, "Ooh, why is that bothering me so much? Where's that coming from?"
1: Like, I and mean, that's how this chapter opens up. You know, examining mm-hmm. your internal examination of mm-hmm. of your your mm-hmm. place in conflict. Mm-hmm. Are you in good practice of that?
2: I read those verses. So you're you're right. Chapter four, verse one.
1: What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but Mm -hmm. do not have. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. Do you, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures.
2: That's like self-awareness in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. Why does this bother me so much? Why does this make me so angry? You know, why am I so afraid that things could go in that direction? Why? Really? Why? Sure. You know, to sit with that, you know, and then also to stay curious about how they've arrived. But
1: that even, do you realize how much maturity it even gets? You have to be at to get to what you just said. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that's hard because you, you, Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, it I, is. Mean, I
2: mean, it really is. It, it is. comes back to, I, I, for a while, I'd cringe at this word conversion, mm-hmm. you know, like, because a lot of us, how that word was sometimes used, you got to convert people, you know, like go out and I remember wearing red smocks and passing out little pamphlets in the corner of the street in New York city, mm-hmm. you know, like, are you saved? You know, and I don't, and I think for a long time, I threw that word out and just totally rejected it way too. And I'm coming back to it. Is what I'm saying. It's like people... And the, the Jesus way of thinking about things, like what Fran was talking about, grace, what's, what's the, what are his three words he loves? Everybody That's needs to love grace. That is not normal. That is not the normal human posture. Like there is something that has to happen on our insides, yeah. you know, to create that sort of posture that we have to be converted by the spirit to be those kind of people who when those moments happen, your first response isn't, you know, it's, hmm, it's like,
0: Uh, you're going against the grain. Like it's, we don't recognize how difficult that is Mm -mm. enough. Mm -mm. Like, just do it. Like, like it's almost like a, you're resisting a natural urge, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to be combative,
2: to be defensive. Yeah. Um, that's the real role of prayer. I mean, we, we get into spiritual formation. I think this is where you really start to see it. It isn't like some obligatory thing we do to make God happy. This is how we stay, soft mm-hmm. in all the right ways. This is how we stay generous in all the right ways. I think the first rule of prayer is formation. You know, is it it, it shapes our soul in this sort of way, um, which is why I think communities both in the church and outside the church struggle to really model this stuff is because there's a lack of depth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lack of depth. You know, there's plenty of ideologies, plenty of things we think about, but man, it's about being in the presence of God and allowing the spirit of Jesus to shape our spirit, to be more like Jesus, like, man, absolutely essential. Mm -hmm. Christian
0: Bale said one time, (laughs) if you have a problem with me, call me. And if you don't have my number, then you don't know me well enough to have a problem with me.
2: Hmm.
0: Christian Bale.
2: (laughs) He also said, Swear to me, he
0: said, where's the trigger? Where's the (laughs) trigger?
1: Can we talk a little bit about judgment? Yeah. Okay. So this chapter ended uh, 11 and 12 was talking about um, slander, speaking against each other, law and judgment, all that. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Judgment came up one of the prior chapters. Um, I guess my question is, you know, don't judge each other. Got it. But I'm uneasy when it comes to the judgment being brought back upon us by God. That, I mean, that I, that does not sound like loving God mm-hmm. image to me. So what kind of judgment does that look like?
2: Where do you see this about? Um, I know it references, there's only one lawgiver and judge,
1: the one who is able to is save. and Mercy sh- and judgment, mercy, to is it speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, mercy triumphs. Yeah. Triumph.
2: That's yeah. Not it. So everybody, and people have a similar kind of uncomfortable feeling about this as, a, as a, in regards to what Jesus talks about forgiveness. Even remember, when he's like, uh, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. You know, it seems like it's kind of making God petty, you know, but again, you kind of have to have, you have to hold it all kind of together the whole scriptural conversation together and man, there's other places where it's like, God's already forgiven you, you know, even if you don't ask for it. So I think it has a lot to do with, here's how I understand it. Have you ever noticed people who can be really stingy towards others when it comes to grace or often have a really hard time receiving it? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: You know what I'm saying? Like those two, those two like openings inside of us seem to be connected. It's like, If I'm really critical and judgmental of other people, I'm probably getting that finger pointed right back at me. Mm -hmm. You know, my inner critics probably huge Mm -hmm. because that's what I've often often noticed. people hype up, you know, being critical uh, as an attempt to stave off their own inner critic, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think there is this sense of, man, when you have this posture towards others, it's going to just double back on you you know you're gonna have it every every all of your faults and flaws are gonna be held against you because you're gonna hold them against yourself mm-hmm. right so I think it's because I think about it with, with forgiveness I've noticed that man when I am quick and e- eager to forgive other people then I have an easier time receiving it for myself I think it's all kind of bound up okay. and and this is take forever but if you really get into sort of God's judgment and the scriptures, whatever that is, God's wrath, it seems to be the built-in consequence of those actions. That's the actual judgment or punishment. Is like, if you keep doing this, this is what's going to happen. You know, that ends up being, that's more understood of like how God's judgment works. It's not this like, God's going to smite you and punish you. God's going to let you have what you think you want. You know, the judgment almost seems sort of built in. If you're going to keep, you know, holding people to this sort of high standard, it's going to come back on you. The punishment is kind of built into the the action. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. Um, That would take a really long time to walk through, right? you know, all the different passages of scripture. But I walk away thinking a bit more of like that. It's like God's judgment is letting us have what we think we want. You want it? Have it. Mm -hmm. How's that working out for you? You know, so in regards to things like grace and judgment our whatever we are able to extend to other people is going to be the same that we're able to receive for ourselves. There's a stinginess to it. So that's how I read it.
1: I have a vague memory of a sermon that you gave on that once now that you're saying it out loud. That sounds familiar.
2: Sounds familiar. (laughs) Sounds familiar. But that's been my experience. and people that I know is like me. You're right. They, the folks who are the—I mean, uh, take take uh, our Enneagram friends, you know the the ones in our life, and they can be hypercritical, you know, the people in there because they—that's how they think they fix fix things. But anybody that knows a one knows their inner critic is way harder on them than they are on the people in their lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, they deal with a serious inner critic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's wrapped up that way. Is it like? you need you still need to
0: receive the grace because living life as if you aren't forgiven is is almost as bad like like yeah you there's no difference like Mm. if if you feel you're like i've given you grace but you're still acting and living like you're in that cell but you're the door's wide open like that's just
1: you're a prisoner of your own i was thinking about inner rot yeah
2: yeah, it's. I think of uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this great allegory called The Great Divorce, and it's it's particularly it's supposed to be about life after death. Um, and everybody's starts off in this place called the Gray Town or whatever. Um, but every now and then, it's like it's like rainy there. Everything's rainy and dreary, and people can build. It's really great. People can build anything they want just by thinking about it. And so what you find is people keep like moving farther and farther apart from each other. Napoleon has like the biggest house, you know, in Greytown, but there's this trail of houses that lead to his big anyway. What's interesting to me is every now and then this bus comes to the Greytown and takes people to what's called the Fair Country. This is sort of, you know, God God's place. And what's so interesting is that when people first get off the bus from Greytown and they're in the Fair Country, they hate it. The colors are too vibrant. The noises are too loud. The grass hurts their feet. And most of them go, I don't want to be here. This is awful. And they get back on the bus and they go to Graytown. They go because they're used to that. They're just used to the dreary and the drab. But people who stay in the fair country, even though it's hard, eventually become, they're like, they get more solid and they can walk on the grass. They can handle the colors. And I love that allegory because I've seen that in real life. It's like people, man, who get so accustomed to judgment and misery. Grace feels like, can feel like an affront to them, Mm -hmm. you know, it can be hard for them to embrace whatever it is you choose to kind of like soak in is just becomes your normal, you know, it to the point where like the actual good and healthy things can feel like an affront to us, you know, um, forgiveness for a lot of people, man, when you've held on to grudges, you know, your whole life, offering forgiveness can seem like letting people off. You're just, you're letting them off the hook. You're not holding them to, you know, their consequences or whatever. And it's, it's just that self, you know, replicating misery. But like, I know people who have a
0: really hard time asking for help Mm. and I'm one of those people. And it's like, it's like to, to that type of person, it's almost easier to do the work yourself than have to open yourself up to the idea of having your burden lifted off of you a little bit and asking for help. But if you open yourself up to that and you become vulnerable in that way, you realize that
2: this is way easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like asking for help is way easier. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know if it's- well, it's always harder at first. I mean, I was talking with a a really young individual just the other day. Family's going through some big, significant trauma, turmoil. It's hard. It's kind of really hard. And there's obviously some concern for the kids that they're actually talking about it, like talking about some of the stuff. And I don't want to talk about it. I just don't want to. And talking with them about like, well, you know, if you think about your favorite athletes, who's who's your favorite athlete? Name that person. Like, guarantee you, you think there were times when they didn't want to practice, but they had to. We've got to think about it. In the same way, like, just because we feel resistance towards something doesn't mean that it's bad. Sometimes it's about us being in a fair country and getting used to it. Mm-hmm. You just got to be there. You got to like, okay, forgiveness is hard for me. That means I probably need to lean into this, whatever it is. Like our first reaction is to think, oh, this is difficult. I got to get out of here. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Uh, this might be a sign you're right where you need to be, you know, and you're, you're getting caught up in something that's necessary for you. I don't know.
1: All right. So practical steps, action steps was, I mean, I think you said several times, join a group, get involved in a community.
2: Yeah. And, I, and again, I just, man, I feel like every, this isn't one of the action steps every week, mm-hmm. but it needs to be is that, so my prayer matters, you know, that spiritual formation, like this sort of posture in our relationships is not normal. It's something that I think is formed in us as we you know, spend more and more time in in the presence of God. So like, that's always going to be an action step because it's always going to be part of the solution, no matter matter what the problem is. And then, yeah, like be intentional about, you know, putting yourself in positions to be around people who don't think and act and have had the same experiences as you. You might actually learn something, you know. We do that through groups. Um, If you're interested, reach out. We talk to you about, you know, how that happens. Um, But yeah, I think that's certainly a, action step so next week we will not have an episode we're trying something different than worship hot seat sunday so we really need y'all to send in some questions info at com. there will not be a let's keep it going podcast on the other side of that but then after that sunday we're starting a brand new series called summer playlist that i'm really looking forward to we're going to look at four somewhat obscure books in the old testament job jonah ruth and Esther. Kind of do a high view. forgot those were books. <laughs> they are. They're books. That's going to be a fun four-week series, and I'm sure these episodes will be fantastic.
1: Mm. All right. That was a good talk. Enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, it was good. It's fantastic. I think I want to pray this time. Okay. I think you should pray, Thomas. All right.
0: I'm going to pray. All right. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day and this time that we can come and just discuss more of the sermon. Um, I pray that you uh, just bless this week um, until we return. Uh, to church on Sunday, gather together um, to worship you and um, just be with us. Um, remind us of your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.